It has been called the greatest document in the history of humanity. Whenever and wherever people have studied and accepted its teachings, they have discovered hope, life, peace, prosperity, and deliverance from tyranny. Welcome to Romans. Today, we're studying the book of Romans, the greatest masterpiece that the human mind has ever conceived or realized. Let me say this. It's impossible to understand this book without an enlightenment by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's sort of a throwaway phrase, and you say, well, you know, is that really true? More than a, a thousand million people in the greatest church in the world have got it wrong. The greatest brains in the religious world, some of the greatest brains from the Council of Trent, they got it wrong. And millions and millions of people get it wrong. Now this is pretty pretty scary stuff because you've got to you've got to have a revelation from God. People say, "Well, it hasn't happened to me." Well, it can happen to you. It can happen to you. It happened to me. I've seen it happen to large numbers of people, and I've seen lots and lots of people, super religious people, sit there as hardened as they could be. They don't get it. But the gospel is not about my performance. It's not about my att attainment. It's not about my works. It is about God, what God has done for me. Now, in the first section, we discovered that it's all by grace. And the justification is a declaration that I, a sinner, I'm declared righteous. I come into a new standing with God not because of my personal piety or my works, but because of the grace of God. Now, we pick up with Romans 6. And this answers the question, because I am saved by the grace of God purely through faith, shall we continue the rebellion? Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Because we are saved without our works, because we are saved by grace, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Paul now deals with this great theological problem. I'm saved without uh, my works. I'm saved without any human merit. Then can I just go on and continue to break the law of God and to fornicate and uh, adulterate? That's the question. This book is put together like a lawyer's brief, the greatest masterpiece. Now, this is an amazing truth that not one, in my humble opinion, in my experience, not one in a thousand understands. Here it is. Legally, when Christ died, I died. Now, look at Romans 6, 5 and 6. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, 
that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. It says, I was crucified with Christ. What does it mean? Many of us don't get this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 helps us to understand it. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, what does it say? All died. Hey, have you thought about this? If one died for all, then all died. In Christ, uh, in Christ, uh, I hung on the cross. I paid in Christ the penalty for my sin. Now people say, no, 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 that, that, you can't say that. Well, that, that's exactly what the Bible is saying. If one died for all, then all died. In Christ, uh, my old self is legally dead. Romans 6, 11 and 12. Romans 6, 11 and 12. Likewise, you also reckon, look at this word, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts because legally you died with Christ on the cross. Because this happened to you legally, now experience it. Reckon yourselves to be dead under sin. What Christ, what happened to you on Christ's cross, now translate that into your experience. What happens when I accept Christ and the true gospel? The Holy Spirit comes into my life at the same time as justification, regeneration occurs. I become dead to the old way of sin. I become dead to hate, envy, lying, stealing, fornicating, selfish ambition, pride, which is the worst of sins, the sin of the church, the sin of Christians, pride, greed, lust, anger, drunkenness. And if, if a person comes fully to Christ, he comes as a penitent and the Spirit of God comes into his life. And there comes a death to sin. And so sour people become sweet. Pharisees, and this is the greatest of all miracles, Pharisees uh, become nice. Uh, Sergei came to my meetings in Russia. He was a mafia man, leader of the, one of the leaders of the mafia. He came, he heard the gospel. He discovered Christ had died for him and legally he died on the cross. Listen, the law cannot judge and condemn a dead man. Go away and think about that. The law cannot condemn me if, if I'm dead. Through Christ, I'm a dead man, you see. Uh, they threatened his life. Uh, Sergei said, you can take my life. 
but you can't take Christ. There's Ildar, a close friend of mine. He was the head of the Russian mafia. <laughs> this guy, we blacked out his face. Can't let it be seen on television. Had an army of 400 uh, mafia soldiers armed to the teeth with machine gun, everything. People tell me, oh, uh, you're, you're just an old guy now and you really haven't kept up with it. What are you? Well, listen, I've seen a lot of things and I still do. That's why I believe in evangelism. The reason we don't do evangelism is because uh, we're not keeping the faith. That's the reason. Why don't you do public? Oh, public evangelism doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work. If you don't do it, of course it doesn't work. <laughs> of course it doesn't. God has never blessed uh, an evangelistic campaign that was never run. And I hear these people say, oh, but it doesn't work. Any- oh, don't cry on my shoulder. Grow up. Get the spirit of God inside you. Become a soldier, not a wimp. So this man came. Every time I go to Russia, he comes to see me. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> but he is now a born-again Christian. We become new. Listen to this word. We become new and nice. Gone is the bitter, fault-finding tongue. You go to churches where people are full of gall. Have you been to churches like that? Full of gall, they're bitter, carrying grudges. The poison of asps is under their tongues, the Bible says. They're full up with religion, but they are not Christians. That's a bit hard. Don't get me stirred up. When I come to Christ, there's a big change. Gone is the self-righteous attitude. Gone is the willful breaking of God's law. In our first year in the ministry, Beverly and I, many years ago, were sent to the outback of Australia to a town by the name of Broken Hill. We all ran with the senior pastor, Pastor Tottenhofer. We ran an evangelistic campaign. Oh, Mr. Pride came to the meetings, pride by name, pride by nature. Hated Christianity, hated the church. He was 83 and planning to get a divorce. I told him, brother, forget it. (laughs) When he heard this truth, He became the most loving and the most lovable Christian. Transformed by grace divine. Then you come to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7 could be summed up in these words, perfect and imperfect. Pray that God will help you to understand this. I know people will listen to this and they'll say, I can't believe this. This is because you're not reading the Bible. That's because you're so blinded by churchiness and tradition. Read the texts. Romans 7, perfect and imperfect. Romans 7, verse 4. Romans 7, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. The law doesn't die. Through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. The law doesn't die. The sinner dies in Christ on the cross and the law cannot condemn a dead 
man. I'm no longer married to sin but to Christ. And this is going to tell you something that many folks don't get because their religion is just a lot of hype and emotion, not, not based on good Bible study. There is a conflict between two natures in the born-again believer who's justified. Romans 7, 12 and 13. Romans 7. Therefore the law is holy. This is a Christian talking. This is not an unbeliever. And the commandment holy and just and good. People say, no, this person got to be a bad person. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Here is a man who gets very, very close to God and he says, we know that the law is holy, but I'm not a good person. I'm slipping. I'm falling. Now, those of you who still read your Bibles and still think, let me give you a little insight. This chapter is in the context of sanctification. Number one, a little bit of Bible scholarship doesn't hurt. It's in the context of sanctification. It's not talking about Paul before he was born again, but Paul after he's born again. Who disagrees with me? The Jesuits. Because the Jesuits said, this could not be a born-again man because we've got to become sinless before we're saved. Now, most people don't know this stuff that you're hearing today. And that's why they're struggling and falling and they're bitter and they're critical and not very nice. But the closer Paul comes to Christ, the more sinful he appears in his own eyes. And I say to the Adventists watching, go and read Acts of the Apostles. That's what Ellen White taught. She said this was the experience of Paul who was born again, who was coming closer to Christ. When you get closer to Christ, you won't start to think you're better. You'll start to think you're worse. Now, I'm going to give you a statement from Martin Luther. Luther said, a Christian is always a sinner, always a penitent, always right with God. There are many of my friends who say, can't believe that, this is another terrible heresy. Luther, a Christian is always a sinner, always a penitent, always right with God. No, don't believe that. This is condoning evil. Now, this is confronting reality because every sinner or every Christian I know is a sinner. You don't know that? Ask your spouse. <laughs> Ask your children. Ask your friends. We are continually, it says in Romans 3, we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Now, Luther and Paul are not talking about people going out and committing adultery and fornicating and lying and Sabbath breaking. But what Luther is talking about is this. As we come closer to God, we know that we're wretched sinners. I'm not, you say. Well, that's because you don't see yourself as God does. 
A Christian is always a sinner, always a penitent. What's a penitent? Lord, I'm sorry. I did this. I shouldn't have done this. I was critical of so-and-so. What a big mouth I am. Lord, save me from my mouth. He's a penitent. He's always sorry. And he's always right with God. Listen to this. Happy the home where the parents are penitents. Happy the church where the church members are penitents. I would not want to belong to a church where the people think they're perfect (laughs) and they're sinless. Oh, what a miserable bunch of Pharisees. But where people are saying, brother, I'm not doing so good. Please forgive me. That's getting close to paradise. You know who disagreed with this? <laughs> the Council of Trent that was run by the Jesuits. Luther was greatly opposed by the Jesuits in the Council of Trent who were perfectionists. And that is why our Roman Catholic friends have purgatory. It's not just a tool to collect money. It is a redemptive act of God. You know why? No one is perfect when he dies in himself. Therefore, the Catholic Church came up with this theological necessity that you've got to go to purgatory for millions of years. You know why? So the sin is burned out of you because justification is a process. And in purgatory, justification continues until the person is good enough to see the face of God. That's why Mother Teresa was suicidal. And that's why that young man took his life because he'd been taught this garbage. This is the sword that slays the dragon of self-righteousness. People become new and nice. Oh, easy to live with. Good to belong to such a church. There's no greater vice than self-righteousness. The Pharisees murdered Christ. Do you want to be like them? Romans 7 says, We are imperfect in ourselves, but we are perfect in Christ and the law cannot condemn a dead man. Hallelujah, you see. So read it and think about it. Don't be lazy. I've had so many people say to me, oh, look, I really don't care what you believe. People say, but I think, I don't care what you think. I don't. I want to go by the Bible. I don't want people coming and saying, but I have a feeling. No, I I don't go by my feelings. I go by it is written. You see? And so should you. We're not saved by our feelings. Then you come to Romans chapter 8. And Romans 8 says, in spite of everything, uh, we are not condemned. Goodness me, talk about grace. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Then it describes them. 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Even though I am in imperfect, in Christ I'm not condemned. You can condemn me, but God doesn't. Then Romans 8, 7 to 9. These are, these are tremendous chapters. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. So the law of God is not abolished, is it? Nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone, oh, this is a terrible text, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You can talk religion until the cows come home. But if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. This talks about the carnal nature that must be put to death. We should ask the question, what do we feed on? What sort of television, the movies, the video games, the porn that feeds the carnal nature? This is why America that was raised up by God is going down. Because America today and the churches are feeding on filth and they can't think straight. Can't think straight. You think they're reading their Bibles? Don't think so. Remember, whatever gets your attention gets you. If porn gets your attention, it'll get you. If Christ gets your attention, Christ will get you. Whatever gets your attention gets you. But here is the consummation, I think, the high point of all scripture. In spite of persecution, sufferings, inner conflicts, down days, which I have, up days, which I have, and every distress, nothing can defeat us. This is the high point of scripture. Romans chapter 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 35, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nothing, because Christ died for me. Then the next verse, I think is 37. Yet in all these things, the good things and the bad things, the ups and the downs, the vicissitudes of life, the disloyalty of friends. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm -hmm. Can't get beaten. Verse 38 and then 39. This is the high point of all scripture now. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. And so 
These chapters, some would say, are the greatest writings in the history of humanity. That's why most people, because they're so brain destroyed, no longer read them. They're good at telling you what to do. But this book shows the sinful state of man. Romans 1, the Gentiles lost. Romans 2, the religious world lost. Romans 3, all lost. No hope except God in Christ becomes the, not just the expiation, the propitiation. The wrath of God that is described in Romans 1 and in Romans 2 is laid upon him as he hangs on the cross. It's almost too hard to believe. And what must I do? Come as a penitent. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. You've got to have a revelation. Going to church for a million years for most people will not give them the revelation. You can get it here today. People watching this on television, by the grace of God, you can get it. But it's going to take a supernatural endowment of grace. And we see it and we see ourselves. I'm a stinking sinner. I'm a great sinner. As John Newton said, two great truths, he said. He said, I'm an old man. I remember only two truths. I am a great sinner. But Christ is a great saviour. Therefore, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John Carter reports, We have seen God's power as the gospel of Christ has been proclaimed in Africa, India, Russia, Ukraine, Cuba, El Salvador, and many other places. We invite you to partner with us in proclaiming Jesus Christ. God be the glory. Great things he has done. Write today to the Carter Report, P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. That's the Carter Report, P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to The Carter Report, P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. That's The Carter Report, P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 
1-800-242-2260. Thank you for your generous support. We look forward to hearing from you soon. May God richly bless you. of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.